You are listening to John Gerica on SAFM. Ken Boland is my guest today for the life and times of a sports journal here on Sport Tracks on SAFM. Ken, good evening. How's it going? Good evening, John. Well in yourself. Look, Ken, man, were you watching the Sharks game a little earlier? I was, I was, I was indeed, yeah, covering it for my son. Oh, you're covering it. Nice. It's it's a <laughs> before before we continued, Ken, I was just having a little rant earlier about the commentators for the Benetton Sharks game was referring to how the Stormers aren't used to the weather that they experienced in Connacht earlier today. And I was like, that's exactly what the Stormers experience. Wind off the Atlantic, a blowing gale. That's what the Stormers that's it's in their name. I I I gather that if the weather uh I think it's the sports ground in Galway where, where Connell yes. play is even more extreme, though, <laughs> than what the uh, Catonians are used to. So, uh, yeah, but a bit of sympathy for the Stormers, who uh, uh, were, by all accounts, a bit unfortunate to lose to Connell. Yeah, you see, I'm a Sharks fan, so I don't care. <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> all right, Ken Borland, uh, sports podcaster, presenter. Uh, you, you've been on this station enough times. You've done, uh, what did you do? Rugby and cricket commentary, I think you've done here. Uh, you're a prolific writer in a number of places as well. Uh, what is, uh, do you have a beat, Ken, or do you do just about everything? I do mostly cricket and rugby and uh, a fair amount of golf. Uh, I love my hockey. When there's um, something big in the hockey world, I'll try and cover that as well. But uh, through the years, I've I've ended up doing things like tennis. Um, I've done quite a lot of netball lately in, in recent mm-hmm. years, funnily enough. Uh, road running even. Yeah, so I've, I've, I've uh, spread my fingers into all sorts of things through the years. You've you've done you, you work for international news agencies back when you were at MWP. You were a freelancer there. You've done work for BBC international organisations. How does writing for an international Reuters, for example, how does that compare to to writing for a, a local newspaper? It's very different. Uh, you've got to be so aware of parochialism. I think is is a big thing. Um, and I learned that uh, what we consider to be quite a big deal in South Africa or, you know, we think is so tremendous uh, on an international scale is not that important, really, not not that marvellous. Mm. Um, so uh, I think maybe it's a, a byproduct of isolation for so long, um, but sometimes we do, to, we do tend to think uh, things in South Africa are a bit more exceptional than maybe they are to an international <laughs> audience. I don't know if you heard Norrie Williamson there just saying that outside of South Africa, the comrades isn't as big as we think it is. Well, there we go. Uh, I mean, I think the comrades is a world-class race and obviously a wonderful yeah. event. Um, but uh, I can remember when the whole of South Africa basically stopped mm. for the comrades marathon. Everyone used to watch on TV. It was on the, on the public holiday. But uh, I guess with a lot of sports, as we become more exposed to the international world, um, so priorities have shifted a bit and, and things that used to capture the entire country's imagination no longer do to the same extent. Yeah, suddenly we're playing against an Irish team in the west coast of Ireland that we've never heard of five years ago. Suddenly now we're competing against them. It just shows you how things have changed in the last 10 years or so as well. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, the Sharks playing Benetton Trevisa this evening, winning fairly comfortably, but 
for many people, the first time they would have seen Benetton Chorizo was when they played the Bulls in the Rando Cup final last year. <laughs> um, and there would have been very few people in South Africa who were expecting anything other than a big Bulls victory in that final. Mm. Simply mm. because it's an Italian team and it's up against the Bulls and, you know, how could they possibly? Uh, it was a massive wake-up call uh, for South Africa and Rugby because the Bulls went there and uh, really were given a bloody nose. I want to talk about the time. As a sports journal, you dream of touring with a team, to be able to spend time with a Springbok team or, or with a cricket team. What's it like day-to-day for a journalist on a tour like that? You're not exactly spending all your time uh, with the teams. Uh, I think in the old days, um, before I started, perhaps there was a bit more contact between the journalists um, and the teams, but I think as as things have become more managed, um, there's a bit more of a divide between the journalists and the teams. Uh, but if there's been a good win, uh, then often the, the, the team hotel the night after a good win is a pleasant place to be, and everyone's in a, <laughs> a very happy, celebratory mood. And and you do you do start to build relationships quicker. Um, you know, if the players see you, they're overseas. They don't have many other people to to relate to either. So for them to see familiar faces on tour, I think is nice as well. So yeah, touring is, is a wonderful part of sports journalism, which uh, unfortunately has taken the back seat in the last couple mm-hmm. of years due to COVID. Um, but for people who love travel and that, it, it's a fantastic opportunity to see different places and, and different cultures around the world. Is it difficult to tour? We, we hear about it. Whenever I imagine a Springbok team, there, there's somebody looking after their kit. There's a kit man. Uh, you know, their, their schedule is very, you know, this is what you're going to do. You're going to wake up. This is what you're going to eat. When you're a sports journalist covering these things, living hotel room to hotel room, is, is that the challenge? Is being able to, you, know, you don't even know what town you're in at some time. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it can be very difficult at times. There's, there's no one really looking after the journalist. You're uh, your office will, will send you off from home, will we'll give you bookings um, some of the time, and uh, that's it. <laughs> You're on your own. Um, <laughs> so, so you can get very tough to us. Um, you know, sometimes you land up in places like Bangladesh, which can be challenging. Um, I will say, however, that um, I have a lot of respect for my football journalist colleagues. Um, football is probably the one sport I've hardly ever covered and mm-hmm. certainly never travelled for it. Um, I've got a lot of respect for uh, my fellow football journalists who've travelled into places in Africa um, mm-hmm. which are not particularly uh, tourism-friendly. Uh, and you have the added drawback of, of the um, home nation can actually be quite quite anti the, the visiting team. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we all know stories of how Bafana Bafana get, get pretty poorly treated sometimes in in some places in Africa, and I think journalists as well uh, must find a lot of obstacles uh, to their work. So, so kudos to go to those guys. Um, but yeah, as a journalist, you land and uh, you've got jet lag, perhaps, and you've still got your deadlines, which of course are South African times and not the time of whatever country you're in. So there's that to handle. And and if the team is not doing well. They get increasingly grumpy and you find access becomes harder and they, they want to talk less and less. <laughs> so uh, tours can become a bit tough and a, and a bit long uh, at times. Uh, you, 
currently a lot of the interviews are done, especially now in New Zealand is a great example where things are done virtually now with, with, with the players. And uh, I know the cricket is extremely good. Do you find that modern sports, you say there's, there's this gap, do you find modern sports men and women are, are happy to talk? Or do you still find it a challenge that the, the answers are short and they, they kind of, we're obligated now to have to talk to the media? I'm afraid it's the thing called media training, which uh, has become a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, you know, I think the media were, were all in support of players getting media training just so that they could express themselves a bit better. And uh, obviously, it, it's, it's, a, it's a quid pro quo because mm-hmm. the players get better publicity and the media gets better stories to write about. But uh, with media training has also come the, the organization doing the media training has train their players very carefully not to possibly say anything <laughs> right. uh, which uh, could be misconstrued or cause offense or uh, give the, the opposition any sort of advantage. Um, so it varies from person to person. You get some players who are just consistently really good inter- interviewees um, who will always give themselves, who are always honest, who, who just give you very good content and others that you know, when you see it them coming up on a press conference, you do you do sigh a bit and think, oh, well, this is going to be a, a, a tough one because we're not going to get much out of them. Now, you've branched out into podcasting as well. So traditional broadcaster, traditional writer, you're going into the digital world. How did that all work out? Well, I think podcasts are such a, a vital part of the media these days. Um, I do happen to have a very good producer as well, um, who I'm sure people can guess uh, who it is. Um, I, I'll give them a clue. It's, he, he's on this call at the same time. Oh, okay. but, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's just another way to, uh, to reach people. Um, there's always lots of talking points uh, about uh, Proteus Cricket. It's a Proteus Cricket uh, podcast. Hmm. Um and sometimes, sometimes fairly casual conversations can actually lead to more deeper insights than you, you know, when you're just writing and people are reading. Um, and it's always nice to have guests who uh, have been there and done that before, who have insight into that professional world. Mm. Um, so I think in my writing, I've always tried to serve the reader. Um, and in a way, I think podcasts are the same, that you're trying to disseminate information um, to the listener, give them something that maybe they haven't heard before, some extra insight. I guess there's, there's also less rules in podcasting. Uh, it, you're, you're not stuck in a, in a time like you and I are now only have 15 minutes to do a chat and we have to squeeze it all in. Whereas a podcast, you could go on for hours if, if, if the content is good enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I think hours, your content would really have to be earth-shatteringly good. Um, <laughs> given the given the modern attention, uh, attention. Ah, true that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but it is. Uh, and I think because it's a, a bit less structured as well, um, you can go to places that you weren't expecting to go necessarily. Mm. Um, so it's just very interesting. I think where, where it takes you, what people want to talk about. Um, and sometimes it, it can be surprising what, what really gets people going as well. Uh, what people are passionate about. All right, Ken Borland, there's a young sports journalist listening to this now thinking, yeah, I want to go tour with the Springboks one day when I'm allowed to. What what advice do you have for somebody that's starting up in the industry? 
yeah, I, I would say is to start practicing and, and implementing the skills as much as you can uh, from an early age. If you want to write, then do a blog. You know, start writing it. The, the wonderful thing about the modern age is that anyone can publish their work. Uh, I remember when I when I started out um, in 1992, um, it was a really really big thing to have your byline, your first byline in the newspaper. Um, the first time your name was attached to an article in the public, um, mm. and just to get something published uh, was a major step. But uh, nowadays, anyone can self-publish, anyone can have a blog. So write, uh, practice your craft. Uh, do as much writing as you can, and hopefully people will notice. If you're passionate about broadcasting, then uh, do a podcast. Um, you know, do a YouTube channel. There are so many different okay. outlets these days for people to uh, to express their talents. And I'm afraid the, the the state of the industry it's not a big industry, so you're probably going to have to knock on a lot of doors uh, before one finally opens for you. Um, but I do believe sports journalism is, is one of those things that um, it's a passion more than a career. Um, I think if you're going into sports journalism to make lots of money, you're going to be uh, generally gravely disappointed. Um, so you, you, do it, you do it because you love it. And uh, that's the bottom line. And, and if you can show that passion and love for your sport out in public, um, I'm sure people and employers will be drawn to that. Uh, I had to laugh, Ken. On that note, Facebook, you know, when Facebook gives you the things that you've typed in many, many years ago, um, I, I typed something the other day about, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, uh, tough day ahead, I get to sit and watch sports and then ten, tell people about it in the evening. Like that, was, that was what my day was. So it's, that's the perk of being a sports journalist. Yeah, look, it's a wonderful job and a wonderful career. You are doing something you love. But um, mm. I think I have to say that there are negative sides uh, to the job as well, which, which maybe the general public don't realize. Um, I mean, I, I often get phoned on a, on a Saturday afternoon straight after the final whistle is gone uh, because one of my mates wants to chat about the game or he's outraged about a decision. Or, um, and they don't realize that my work is actually starting now. So oh, yes, right. it was yeah. great to watch the game and take a few notes. Um, and but now I'm going to be working for the next couple of hours, sure. um, press conferences, writing, whatever, all the various clients uh, you have to serve. And um, mm. sports generally on weekends, so um, you're going to miss a lot of weekends um, of your family life, your social life, uh, because you'll be working. Um, you know, there are times after a Springbok game, for instance, when at two in the morning the next day, um, wow. I'll still be working. Um, so there are, there are sacrifices, and that's just the writing side. I know on the broadcast side as well, there's a lot of preparation work involved, um, you know, in, in order to broadcast properly uh, on what you're commentating on, for instance. Um, and it may, it may seem easy for people who haven't tried commentary. Uh, but I can assure you, it's not. It's not that easy, and it is. If you have to do it for a whole day, um, yeah. it does become quite a mental strain as well. So, um, it's a job. It's a wonderful job, uh, but it's not all, uh, you know, cocktails and sitting around watching sport all day. 
Kent, we need to wrap it up. Great chatting to you again. And we look forward to hearing and writing and reading all the things that you're going to supply to us again. Ken Borland, thanks very much. Thanks very much, John. All the best to you as well. Sports broadcaster, Ken Borland. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Ken Borland, B-O-R-L-A-N-D, at Ken Borland.